Hello everyone and welcome to Inspiring Chaos. If you do not know who I am, hi, my name is Onise. I'm the host and founder of this amazing streaming community. And if you're a freaking listener, hello, welcome back. I'm so excited to tune in for another episode. So for today's guest, we have Doctora Marina. And I am so excited to have her because she's absolutely a Latina who's breaking barriers, who's setting the bar high, who is truly inspiring so many people. And it was such an honor to have her. So I honestly want to make the intro short because her story is absolutely incredible and I don't want to waste time with me talking um so she does give her social media at the end so stay tuned for the whole thing and follow her as well as if you like to as well at inspiring cows with Venus in instagram and also on our website and there's amazing things happening and i'm so excited to share that soon but for now i'm so excited and so honored to have doctora manina on the podcast so now let's go on hearing her inspiring story of success for today's guest we have dr marina Serena Burlido. Um, and she graduated from Crafton Hills College with an associate's degree in social science and then transferred to CSU San Bernardino, where she obtained her bachelor's degree in mass communications. She later attended University of Redlands, where she graduated with her master's in higher education, and she also obtained her doctorate degree. Hi! Hi! <laughs> I'm very excited to have you. How are I'm you? I'm so excited to be here. I'm good. I'm nervous. <laughs> It's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. So um, <laughs> you just finished your, your PhD program, which congrats. Yes. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Was it something you always intended to do or was it something that just happened? Yeah. So um, as a little girl, my parents always um, instilled the importance of education. Uh, my dad made it to maybe like the third grade in Mexico. Uh, my mom graduated from high school um, and didn't really have um, goals that she felt were attainable for her as far as like a higher education, pursuing an education. So me being the oldest, um, they knew right away that education was something that they wanted for me. Um, and I always told them that I wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't know what, what kind of doctor. I didn't know you could even get like an educational doctor into like grad school. <laughs> so um, I always just knew that if I was going to go to school, I was just, I was going to make it to the top so that nobody could tell me that I needed something else, that there was uh, nothing that could stop me uh, from achieving whatever I wanted to achieve, especially education-wise. Yeah. Um, was it something that you kind of felt scared when you first started in getting to your PhD program? Absolutely. Um, I think all throughout education, I always felt like the other um, I went to predominantly white schools, like K through 12. Um, we lived in Redlands, which is a little suburb, if you want to call it a city um, here in the Inland Empire. And um, luckily, I grew up in a nicer area, if you want to call it that. Um, so I, I went to schools where there was very few Latinos, very few people of color. So going into college, um, I went to a campus that was in the same area. So um, I was constantly looking for people who looked like me, people who sounded like me. Um, I learned how to code switch at a very young age um, and how to present myself to people um, to be more professional, to be taken more seriously academically. So going into just even like the master's program, um, the imposter syndrome went through the roof. If I thought I had it in grad, like an undergrad, um, going into my master's program was like, you shouldn't be here. You know, um, the cohort was very small, but there was other Latinos in the cohort. So, but it was like, but they must be better at what they're doing than you are because 
you know, um, I had no background in education. So when I got my master's in higher education, it was my first time um, really taking courses in that. So people knew like theories and they knew like other studies. They know how to, they knew how to read, like read and write like academically. And I didn't know how to do that. Um, so going into the EDD program, I took a break for about three years between the master's program and the EDD program. Um, and I worked um, for the local community college I worked at Valley College in San Marino. So I felt like I had more experience in education and higher education. So I kind of knew what I was talking about, but um, going in, there was a lot of professionals, a lot of K through 12. And again, it was very small cohort. And it was like, these people were principals and directors. And I was like, I worked at the time I worked at an entry level position at the college. So it's like, yes, you work at a college, but it was like more clerical staff than like actual like administration. Um, so I felt like I knew what I was talking about, but I had to convince myself of that. And, and especially to speak up in class and say like, I know I did the reading and I know I understood the reading, but what if I say the wrong thing? Or I was, I was on the younger side of the cohort. So I was like, you know, they're going to say, like, this young girl thinks she knows everything, and um, it was very much, like, I felt like people could see through me, that they could, that they could see that I was this fraud, that it, even, like, today, like, when people ask me to do things, or um, invite me to things, like, podcasts, I'm like, why did you want to talk to me, what, what do I know, <laughs> but um, absolutely, it was terrifying, it was terrifying the entire way through, and, um, but it was good, but I think that imposter syndrome just stuck with me, um, throughout the entire thing and it's something that I'm still dealing with I'm still learning how to shut her up and say no I know what I'm talking about I'm worth it I'm allowed to be here I'm allowed to take up space and I don't have to turn anything off or on uh, when I get to particular spaces because you know with or without um, you know whatever people think is professional or academically correct uh, they can't take the education that I have away and they can't take that passion for students that I have away. So it's like, I just have to convince myself sometimes that, you know, the person that I say I am, that she really exists in real life. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how did you feel when you defended your research? And it was like the last thing. <laughs> um, so through the, through the whole like, just like dissertation proposal part, like getting, um, you know, getting the proposal, you technically in our program, you defend twice almost. Oh, so the proposal had to be defended first, um, which is kind of like you you show your committee, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. This is the study I want to do. And they tell you like, yeah, that sounds good. Like you have enough research to back you up to continue like an entire study. And then you get the green light to actually continue like with the actual research. So when I defended like final defense, um, I was super nervous. And public speaking isn't like a like a big nervous thing for me. Um, once I'm up there, I'm pretty much good. I just kind of like black out. <laughs> but being up there, I thought, um, like, for sure, like, I'm sure that my committee has all these questions, and I'm sure they're going to come at me with, like, you know, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you think of that? Like, because, you know, they're the professionals. And I picked all women on purpose because this was the study was about Latinas. The study was about being a woman. Um, my chair, um, Dr. Alvarado, she is a Latina, she's a professional, and I was like, she knows everything, like, she, she is number one, so for me to present in front of her and tell her, like, I did this study, and I, as an expert, found these things, and, you know, this is what I have to say about this particular subject, especially a subject that's not talked about outside of 
the originator, which is Dr. Covarrubias. Um, I was super nervous that people were going to be like, this is a bunch of crap. And I think you made it up. And this isn't real research. Um, and, you know, you're not a real doctor. And, you know, all of these things are going through my mind. So when uh, at the end, when you defend, they come up with questions and stuff. So um, their questions were not real questions. They were like, um, it wasn't like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? It was more of a like, um, you know, I really liked this piece. And when you explained it like this, like it made more sense. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking like, okay, they're, maybe they're just like telling me what they thought. And then the questions are coming after. Um, and then they left the room and I just like didn't click because there's like, there's no way. It's like a, what we call, well, I've heard people call like a unicorn. Like that doesn't happen. Like you have, you're not perfect. There's no way that this study doesn't have anything that you would change. And um, on the inside, I was losing it, but I knew people were watching. <laughs> I knew people were on Zoom, people were on live, on Instagram. Um, and it was just very much like, like I was there, but I wasn't there because I couldn't believe it. Um, and it took me a couple weeks because I didn't actually like walk until like maybe like a month later. And even then, like going through like the your hooding ceremony, going through like actual graduation, wearing the whole getup, like the vata and everything, like I couldn't. It wasn't real. Like I was just kind of like going through it, and which like thinking back and I'm like no you did it and I'm like but did I was I there like because I really did I dream it um it felt weird we went to eat afterwards like my family's like let's go eat because you know that's what Mexicans do we eat to <laughs> celebrate and you know people were congratulating me they were calling me and texting me and I was like oh thank you and I think um I mean it's like a cultural thing that like you don't want to think like you're this and and that goes back to the study where it's like why me like why you know, I'm not this big thing, like, I did this big thing, but it's okay, it's like, whatever, like, anybody can do it, like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not special, or whatever, and that, that's one of those things that comes with the imposter syndrome, with, with being first generation, is uh, giving yourself credit, because there's all kinds of people out there rooting for you, and supporting you, but um, when I defended, it was, like, an out-of-body experience, like, I felt like I was playing a role, um, and I felt like a fraud, I felt like, they're gonna call. They're gonna call me, and they're gonna tell me like, actually, we reread it, and this doesn't make any sense. Um, but I have people that have read it through now. I haven't even read it from front to back, which is probably horrible. <laughs> I just read it in chunks as I wrote it, um, and I think it's a, I think it's me not wanting to see like what I did, because I think deep down I know that it's a good study, but I think I'll read it and be like, all right, she's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's not that. It's, it's, fine it's not that great <laughs> yeah but, um, you mentioned that getting your master's and your PhD was very hard mm -hmm. uh, who is someone mm -hmm. who has like inspired you to continue um in that career path um knowing the fact that a lot of Latinos don't make it that far um there's a very there's very few um I uh, in my master's program I started following accounts like on Instagram because you know Instagram was getting popular back then and people started documenting their journeys, especially uh, women of color, Latinas. So just like in K through 12, I was grasping to find somebody um, that I could relate to. So I started following um, different people, different accounts. And even in the program, um, we kind of stuck together because in the master's program, I think my, maybe like my second term, I was ready to give up. I was ready to drop out uh, the the anxiety of going to class, uh, the imposter syndrome was just overwhelming to the fact that I 
emailed the chair and was like, what is the process to drop out? Like, this is not for me. Um, I argued with my parents about it because they were like, no, you can't drop out. Like, what do you mean? Like, you made it this far. And I was like, no, you guys don't. Like, you guys are not in class when, you know, you guys are not, you don't know what I feel like when I go. And it's like, and not to say like the cohort was ever um, toxic. They were actually really good. <laughs> it was me. It was all me. It was all in here. Um, just feeling like I I didn't deserve the space that I was taking up. So um, I looked for mentors on campus. Um, I had in my community college days, um, the whole reason that I ever, I think, made it this far in, in education was uh, as the director of student life at Crafton. She's still there. Her name is Dr. Erica Paddock. She actually had gone through the same program. So when I met her, um, I thought I was going to be a psychologist. For <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a psychologist um, because I wanted to be like B.D. Wong in Law and Order SVU. Uh, I wanted to be like a criminal psychologist. And that's what I went to school for, right? And I met her. Um, I was really involved in student activities because of her, because for whatever reason, I met her for something. And then she just was like, do you want to be on the student government? And I was like, okay, whatever. And then she started sending me out to different things. And I started getting involved on campus. Um, and I just like took to it. So one time I remember asking her like, what did you get your degrees in? Like, I know you have a master's degree and I know you are getting a doctorate. So like, in what? Because I just want to be you when I grow up. Like, I just want to hang out with students all day and, you know, talk to them and help them find like their home on campus. Because that's how she, that's what it felt like when we were with her. Like, students would come in like perdido, like completely. And she would talk to them and she'd be like, you need to go to the art club on Wednesdays and that's going to be your space because you're really good at drawing. And we're going to help you fill out like all your academic stuff, but you need to find like your space on campus. Mm. Um, so I stuck to that woman like glue. Like to this day, I text her, I call her. Um, and finding people like that. Dr. Alvarado was my chair. Um, she was one of the first um, professors that we had in that first term of the doctorate program. And the minute we met her, I was like her. I want to be like her. Like she's like my academic goals, right? Um, and I told her, like, I know it's super early to ask for chairs and build, like, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it that far. Like, who knows? I might drop out. Like, but what is the process of, like, getting on somebody's, like, wait list? Because we already knew she was super popular. And I was like, so she's popular, I mean, she's good. So on top of that, I was, like, um, aspiring to want to be her, like, when I grow up, like, that people want to look at you and ask you for advice and be, like, a mentor. Um, and my parents, my family, just uh, coming home and, you know, like telling them, you tell them stuff about school or what you're doing. And it's hard to put it into like regular, regular English sometimes or Spanish um, or like explain why it's important or why it's a big deal that something happened or didn't happen. Um, and my parents were oh, super patient with me and were like, okay. And they were like, so that's the thing that that then you do this and I'm like yes and they they went through the entire journey with me my husband uh, would sit there and listen to me blab and blab about school about projects about articles um it was just that drive that I couldn't I couldn't stop the journey because it was for them because mm -hmm. of a lot of it was for them it's pushing us forward as first gen but at the same time I was like almost like you want to be, you aspire to be like these women and knowing that there's so few of them. Um, and then when I started um, 
hearing from like undergrads that were wanting to go to grad school, sorority sisters that were coming up behind me saying like, you went, you're in a master's program, like, you know, how do I do it? And it's like, okay, like, ya te ven. like people are looking at you. I had kids during the, the EDD program. <clears throat> so it was like, are you, are you a quitter? Are you going to show your kids how to be a quitter? And I was like, no. So <laughs> it was, it was a culmination of things, but it was definitely, I think the number one thing was finding those, those mentors on campus or within academia um, and aspiring to be like them. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a few people that inspire you. And I want to tell you that you have inspired so many Latinas, including <laughs> myself. And that is why you're on the podcast, because I really wanted people to hear your story as a Latina in a PhD program, because as you mentioned, it is mostly white dominated. And it is a field that it's very like lonely sometimes. And I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you, why would you start an Instagram page um, to share your yeah. journey? Um, I'm sure you know there's there's tons of pages of uh, very big creators, now influencers. And it's like, I never thought you could be like an academic influencer, but it's like, I follow a bunch of them. So, <laughs> and I think when you follow these pages, like um, becoming a doctora, academic Latina, Latina short grad guide, like all these big creators on these pages, um, academic mommy was the first one I ever followed. I love her so much. Uh, my stash, that I got for the graduation, I saw on her years ago. And that was one of the things that I was like, I want that test and I'm gonna wear that size with me and I'm gonna look like I'm seven mommy. <laughs> so things like that, where it was like, it's almost like following like a, like a beauty influencer, but for academics. <laughs> so watching them go through these programs, being able to ask them questions, these women have been so wonderful in this community where it's not just like somebody on Instagram, on social media that's just putting out there the good, I've seen these women put out the the rejection, the hard parts, the loneliness that you're talking about. And it's like that, I think that's why I wanted to build the page in the first place was number one, I wanted to be part of this community like officially. Like how do I how do I talk to these communities? How do I get a space in this community? Um, and I wanted to separate like my personal life from academics because I felt like you know, you have everybody and your mom on your personal page and not everybody there is interested in your academic journey. Um, and it's like, not everybody in your academic journey wants to see you like out of the baile on Saturdays. You know what I mean? So um, I had started thinking about, I had asked, I had even asked my husband, like, what if I make a page? And he was like, yeah, you should do it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I want to do that. But I saw the reach that these other creators had um, and their accessibility to asking questions um, being open to ask questions and um, post their advice, their tips. And then once I got to um, the dissertation proposal, so when we go through um, this process, because my study is a qualitative study, I needed people. Like I had to interview people. Um, I had to go through the uh, Institutional Review Board or the IRB um, and to access students, which was part of the thing was like, I wanted to talk to you Latina, first-gen women in community colleges in the Inland Empire, um, from all across the Inland Empire, I had to have uh, what we call a gatekeeper letter. So there's 12 community colleges in the, in the San Bernardino, Riverside County. Um, that was 12 letters <laughs> I had to send out to these colleges, um, and that can prolong your process. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason for those is to have access to like their listservs, 
um, for them to send out like an email blast, stuff like that. And I was like, there has to be a way around this because I'm not doing that. Um, and I had discussed doing how these um, communities on social media of these like academic creators. And I thought, well, what if that's how I recruited people? Like if I reached out to people on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, like who's to stop me from connecting with somebody because it has nothing to do with the campus. Like, I just know that you go to RCC because you put it in your bio or like your page is public. And I can see that you're going to school at Claxton or, you know, Moreno Valley. Um, so I, I had proposed only using social media and people were like good luck girl <laughs> because how do you you know how do you get people to like sign up because um the goal was like eight to ten interviews I had 27 uh uh people sign up for this study wow. <laughs> at the final cut yeah we had 10 for the final cut like that I actually completed the entire interview process and everything and it was really like almost like cold calling but on Instagram so I would go through, um, I would look at community college Instagrams. I would look at like um, their dreamers page, their EOPS page, their, if they had anything that had involved like Puente, anything that I knew where there was going to be possibly Latino people. Um, and then I would go through their followers, like who follows this page? And then I would look and I'm like, okay, this person is public. Like Mary Jo is public. Um, oh, I see that she, because the younger generations put everything in their bio, like their age, what school they go to, their, their Latina flag. So I'm like, okay, so she's Mexican. She's 19 and she goes RCC. Great. Perfect. And I would just message them and be like, hi, first of all, this is not spam, which might, which might sound spammy, but it's not spam. Um, you know, my name's Marina. I'm part of this. I go to the University of Redlands. I'm looking for this and this and this and this. I'm looking to do interviews. If you're interested, you know, shoot me back. I think I probably sent out about, I would say at least a hundred messages. Um, and then I started messaging those actual Instagrams, like, uh, like the Puente Instagrams, anything that would that maybe they could share it to, like their followers. As long as they share it, it was okay. Those were like the loopholes. Yeah. Um, and I didn't make the Instagram until I got like cleared from the IRB because I was worried that they were going to be like this is like unethical you can't do that <laughs> so I was like maybe I should just make it just to you know from here on out show like what it looks like like from this standpoint because I did go to a private university um people's uh processes are different whether they go to a CSU or UC or a private school um an EDD like what I did versus a PhD um which is way longer and their process is different um so I was like yeah like I should just document everything and I figured it would be a good way to keep in contact with the women that decided to do the study um and it was a way to also be kind of like anonymous but not anonymous um and it filtered it filtered my life from being a mom and like a regular person but this is where like my academics could really shine and I could kind of figure out who I wanted to be as like a higher education professional, um, especially building that community that I wanted to be a part of. Like, how do I, how do I seriously sit down and do this while also showing people, this is what it looks like when you go to the University of Redlands. This is what the program looks like. This is how it works. Um, so there was a lot of things that sparked it, but definitely when, when I figured out that I could use social media instead of like these formal processes that, are pretty much just obstacles at this point. Um, 
I felt like it was very much like there's stop signs. And I was like, you're trying intentionally or not, you're gonna stop somebody's study. And I had heard about other people who, you know, letters are denied or they're only allowed to access to certain people. Um, so I was like, I'm just gonna do it myself. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, well now we know not people should be there. But I think we're great. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give anyone who's interested in higher education? Um, do it. <laughs> um, do it. We need you. Um, higher education is tricky. It's uh, it is an old white man's game, mm-hmm. and I think you have to be able to recognize that there's barriers everywhere, and sometimes we're part of those barriers, and we don't we don't realize it. Um, so definitely do research on what part of higher education you want to work in. So when people hear that I have a doctorate or that I work at a college, they assume that I'm a professor or they assume that I'm a counselor. And it's like, mm-mm, no, <laughs> any of those parts of academia. Um, so I work in student services and that's really where I feel like I am my best, where I can give the best to my students. Um, there's so many different ways to get involved in higher ed, whether you want to be an administration, if you want to be a counselor, if you want to be a professor, looking at in the end goal, what it is that you want to do. Because when I went into my master's program, um, my goal at the time was student activities, like student life, student activities, sorority and fraternity life, so Greek life, that's really where my focus was. So I just focused on Greek life the entire time I was there. And I don't work in Greek. <laughs> I don't even work at a university. So, um, and definitely understanding the systems between a community college, a university, like a CSU or UC, a private school. Um, I've had a lot of uh, peers or people that are looking into grad school that they're like, well, I didn't know that at, you know, I have a master's in education. I figured that because of a CSU and a UC, I can be what whatever they want to call it, an advisor. They never call it a counselor. It's never a counselor. If I can do it at a UC and a, U, and a CSU or a private school, why can't I be a counselor at a community college with mm-hmm. my education and that and in I mean my master's in education? And it's like, well, because at a community college, uh, you have to have a master's in counseling, psychology, sociology, some kind of ology. Um, and that's not really talked about and that's not explained. Um, so I really tell students like, what is it that you want to do with students in the future? So like my end goal, uh, it's like a joke, but not like not really, is to be like the president of yeah. like Valley College, right? Yeah. So like, I gotta start at the bottom, right? So it's like, okay, I have the I have the degree. Now I just need the experience and move my way up, you know, in, in management. Um, but had I wanted to be a counselor. That I wouldn't I wouldn't have known that until I set foot on the community college campus and was like, what do you mean I can't be a counselor? Because I actually did apply for a counseling position. And I talked to the dean at the time, who was my boss at the time, and I was like, hey, I'm really interested in like adjunct counseling. Like, I think I would be really good at that because mm-hmm. I'm not getting anywhere with student life and student activities here. And he was like, what's your instrument? And I was like, oh, it's in higher education. He's like, he's like we, even if we wanted to, we couldn't hire you. And I was like, I did not know that until I started working there. Um, and I've had I've had friends that are like, we have the same degree, but I'm a I'm a now an advisor, technically counselor, at, you know, Cal State San Bernardino or UCR or whatever. And it's like, right, but when you come to my campus, that doesn't that that doesn't count. And they're like, 
So definitely finding your area that makes you feel good. And for me, I knew it was helping students. Um, I thought it was just student life and getting them, finding those spaces, finding those homes for them, like Erica used to do. Um, but I started working in student services when I got to um, the campus. I started working in matriculation, the enrollment process. I learned that in and out. And I was like, this system sucks. Um, and somebody needs to do something about it. So I was like, so I need to stay in student services for the rest of my life because I'd be damned if a student walks off my campus because nobody helped them or they were so frustrated that they gave up because I've seen it happen multiple times. Um, it's like my husband's story. That was like his exact story. He went to community college. Nobody was helpful. People were almost rude. And he was like, I'm not going to come here if you don't want me here. I'm going to go, you know, do my thing and, and work, which is fine. That's totally fine. But I think had somebody taken the time of day to really help him through the process and explain things, um, it could have made a world of difference. And I see that happen on, on any campus all the time. I hear it all the time. So I knew that that was where like I needed to be and I needed to uh, be somebody in the middle to stop those things from happening. So student services it was, and I'm still there. I work for a specialized program now. So um, that's literally like our entire goal is to make sure that students get from the application process through the first year and make it on and continue on into the second and third year. Yeah, um, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> don't listen to the voices in your head um we named her her name is Ethel um <laughs> that voice that I hear um I think that your worst enemy is you mm-hmm. um there's been multiple times where I have self-sabotaged myself because I thought for whatever reason I was not worthy of that space of that position um that recognition, that environment was not for me when it probably was. Um, don't listen to other people. Um, growing up, like I said, in predominantly white schools, I was told a lot, you're smart for being Latina. Mm. You, you're, the only, you're the only woman that made it into this program, which they thought was a compliment. Yeah. Um, and you internalize that. Um, I think learning young a long time ago to trust your intuition if something feels right then do it if something doesn't feel right if something makes you feel gross or you feel like maybe um it doesn't make you feel good especially in, in education that you're like I don't know that this is where I want to be or this is this doesn't feel right um listen to that because I think I would have saved myself a lot of um heartache uh growing up in education but definitely don't listen to don't listen to Ethel she's literally crazy um she doesn't know what she's talking about and you know my mom my all the women in my family but especially my mom my grandma they raised me to be like this independent like strong woman it's like sometimes you don't feel like that but you just gotta fake it (laughs) you make it because somebody out there thinks like you're like this like just straight up chingona right (laughs) so you just have to be her until you remember that that's who you are because at some point somebody saw something in you even if you don't see it in yourself and sometimes you need that outside perspective of um like you need a neutral person to step in and say like no I think this and this and this of you I think really highly of you um but you don't see it because when we look at ourselves in the mirror we see one thing and the outside world sees something else um so don't always listen to the mirror don't always listen to the to the voices inside because sometimes they're wrong um and the worst thing that can happen is somebody can say no 
And I think the fear of rejection and the fear of like being embarrassed that somebody says no or like, no, thank you. Like stopped me from doing a lot of things when I was younger. So the worst thing that I can say is no. And you say, okay, and you just keep going and you try again somewhere else. But um, do the things that you want to do, scary or not, because you're going to go far. Um, and you might have gone farther, faster, had you not been so scared. <laughs> Thank you so much. I will love if you can yeah. share social media with all of us. Sure. Um, so my educational Instagram, the academic Instagram, are uh, people to follow now that I've graduated post-graduation, what that looks like and all the things that I'm going to be doing, hopefully. In my head, I have all these goals. We'll see if they happen. Um, you can find those on at Latin, La Latina del IE. So it's la.latina.del.ie. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have reached the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining. Go follow Dr. Marina right now because she absolutely deserves it and also follow us as well if you'd like to. Thank you so much for tuning in and talk to you all next week. Bye.